Good morning, City Life. Good morning, visitors. Uh, today we are jumping right on in into our sermon. We're doing thing. We're starting off somewhere different than when we normally start off. Uh, I have these song lyrics. It's it's from a song called "Glorious Agony" that I think set up today perfectly. Uh, this song, it was hard for me to research it. Actually, it seems like it was released last year but it sounds like it's like 700 years old. And so, I don't know, it's called Glorious Agony. Uh, and these are the lyrics. Let's, let's listen to the heart of the song. It says, how could it be majesty that you take the blame for me? Wretch that I am, undo my shame, my heart to clean, free indeed. On bended knee by faith receive your sacrifice, my liberty. How could it be majesty, glorious agony? How could it be majesty that you would shape Gethsemane, hands that created the tree elevated, impaled you sealed my release? How could it be majesty, you call me to your bloodstained feet? Precious wounds I sit beneath, each drop received gives life to me. To me, I, I want to start with this song because this whole morning, the theme is talking about what it means to live in this glorious agony, what this Christian life means when we see that it, say that it's glorious and it's full of agony. Today, I like pray more than anything else that we respectfully, in all of the right and all of the healthy ways, Talk about the privilege it is to know Christ and the burden it is to know Christ. How we have this depth of joy and peace while we also are, struggle to grasp the pain and the sadness that comes with it. You know, Tim Keller talks about how the Christian heart is all at the same time the happiest in the world and the saddest in the world. The happiest in that it knows the highest of heights possible in the human heart, possible in experience, and then also the lowest of lows because of the walk we're told to walk and because of our allegiance to Christ, we know both. That we would know the, the joy of living with Christ while we also walk the death of Christ out. Today's Beatitude is one that I've prayed more than any of the other Beatitude sermons so far. Because this sermon to me, all of them really, but this one really to me, has been reminding me that uh, my call to this church is much more than just a job. This is much more than where I get paid from. It's like this, this sermon is like the sermon that I, I hold in two hands. Half of me never, half of me is so happy to preach this. Half of me knows that this is the sermon that I was made to preach and that really all of us were made to preach to one another. And the other part of me is so sad that I have to give it. It's like a part of me wants to never preach this sermon again because I know the weight of it and the weight of living it out. And, but then the other part of me is like, every time I'm with any of you, every time I'm with us, every single Sunday, this is the message that I want to preach. 
This is the message that we all need to be reminded. This is what makes us a church that spurs each other into knowing the highest of highs and also the pain that it is to know Christ and to push us to go into it more and more and more to know what this glorious agony is. And so 2,000 years ago, Jesus went up on a hillside with his disciples and a whole gaggle of other people. And he preached out of love for all people to hear in all times, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That you are blessed, you are filled up, you are satisfied, profoundly happy when you face hostility and hatred and abuse, when you are mocked, when you are beaten, when you are imprisoned, when you are made fun of at work, when you get that silly eye, when you lose relationships because you won't turn your back on righteousness. That you receive, in he- you receive the kingdom of heaven when you will face anything for Christ, when you're willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so let me pray as we unpack this glorious agony that it is the life of Christ and what it means to be a persecuted person for righteousness' sake. And so let's pray, and then we'll read God's Word in Matthew chapter 5. So please join me in prayer. Lord, I I thank you for this day, and I thank you for gathering each and every single one of us back here to this day. I thank you for your mercies and your grace that you carried us through another week, Lord. Let us not even take that for granted. Lord, right now there are hundreds of millions of people being persecuted because they will not let go of you. Lord, we all, every believer who has ever called on the name of Jesus is called to face persecution without letting go of righteousness, Lord. Help us to learn what it is even before we ever have to face it so that we have our minds made up that we will go through anything as long as you're there with us. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, I invite you to the preaching of your word, the hearing of your word, And then the storing of that word in our hearts to produce something in our conduct and in our character that is deeply shaped by you, deeply blessed by you. And so, Lord, we give you this morning. We ask for you to be in every part of it. And, uh, Lord, I thank you. Uh, Be with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. So today we are back in our Beatitudes back in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 10 today. And let's read God's word. God's word says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
today as we are breaking down what it means to live in this glorious agony. Let's start in a very appropriate place of talking about being beatific sufferers. All right, church, so today I, I feel, I, I started the intro with this, like to this week I am especially struck about how, like, I have, it is my joy and my honor and my privilege to be our lead pastor, the, sh- the shepherd, uh, one of the shepherds of this church of uh, being pastor and leading us spiritually, of what it means to live out our life here in Jersey City with Christ at the center and for Him above everything else. Uh, And this week I I, I come to you as lead pastor of this church, but there's part of me that like, I come to you as a brother in Christ, as your brother who links arms with you to figure out how to live this life for Christ together. And as we talk about this happiness and the sadness that it is to know Christ, to live for Him, before we go in, I'm compelled to talk about how we are supposed to even approach this topic in a healthy, mature, biblical way. Because I've seen too many Christians take this and go to unhealthy places with this. And so let me have a couple of warnings for us in this, in the topic of persecution, of how to look at this, of how to be mature in this, of what I think is, is the biblical way of, of being a persecuted believer. The first one is that no part of today are we trying to romanticize suffering. You know, today we're going to talk about how it is our duty and even our joy. We are called to rejoice in suffering. God calls us to rejoice in it. But we like need to avoid the temptation of romanticizing it. You know, I, though I have been thinking about this week, this our lives are not indie movies, independent movies. Back when I was younger, when I was a lot less emotionally aware of myself and and where I was at, like when I felt really numb, when I re- needed a release, I had a couple of indie movies, low budget movies that like glorify sadness or like glorify like having a hard life. And I would watch these movies every once in a while to have a release or because I, I like felt like I needed a good cry or like, cause I just like thought that I had to be sad sometimes, which is so funny. But I think there's like a glorification at times of sadness. But like this beatitude is not calling us to romanticize suffering. There's this organization called Open Doors that uh, studies and advocates against Christian persecution around the world. And they say, according to their studies, they're, they're a super legit organization. According to their studies, there are at least 340 million Christians, 340 million Christians around the world right now today that experience daily high levels of persecution because of their faith. And so if they say confidently there are 340 million Christians, like how, how many more actually experience hardship because of the gospels, because of the gospel, because they will not let go of their faith. And we do these people no service when we romanticize the suffering and the pain and the loss that they go through. We do them no service when we're not praying for when they're beaten or when they're killed, 
or when they lose their land or their property because the government or their neighbors take it, of the intimidation that they face socially, the legal and the financial attacks that they go through so that they are destitute and have nothing and remain in poverty, or even in certain contexts when they lose custody of children because of their faith in Christ. We do them no favors when we romanticize, or when we say, pat them on the back, they're doing their Christian duty. They are, and they intimately know that. But as people who live in a place where, honestly, the most amount of persecution we realistically will face is a look in the hallway, or at not getting a lunch invite, we, we are not called to romanticize the suffering that people face because of their faith in Christ. Because suffering is always tragic. Too many Christians, especially in countries that are not persecuted, romanticize the suffering. And we are not called to do that. We are not called to be morbidly fascinated with persecution and kind of like secretly hope that it would come. I, I Persecution is always a sad event, and it grieves the Lord's heart because He's our Father. The, the second warning that I have for us is that no part of today sh- I, I do we want to legitimize like a, a, a masochism towards persecution, of this like love of the pain, of the suffering that we get. Now, there are too many Christians that I've experienced or who always want to be a victim, who want to have like this badge of honor, this external badge of honor to be able to see like, look at me, like I'm one of the real ones, like I'm actually losing for Christ. Like enjoy that they have a persecution. Like we are called to rejoice when persecution comes. Yeah, we're actually going to talk about that, not next week, but the week after that. We're going to talk about God's call to rejoice in it, but not enjoy pain and suffering, and not enjoy the suffering that other people face because of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The persecution is promised. It's in front of us. It's on our way. If we're truly living for Christ, some persecution will come into our lives, but we are not called to enjoy it. We're not called to look for it. A third warning for us in in this text for us today, and uh, I I, I wanna say apologize me for this, uh, but I don't also want to say that because I have no other way of really saying this in the way that like my heart feels it, is that we are not called to be asshole Christians. People who trade in all the other Beatitudes so that we can be hard, so that we can say that, oh, we're, I'm an Old Testament prophet. I have to speak the truth. I have to trade in grace and love and mercy and meekness. Like I'm trading all those in so that I can be this persecuted Christian because if I'm not going hard, then I'm not doing my job. It's like, no, like we're, this beatitude, blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Is not for the Christians that are just completely unpleasant to live with, who other Christians, who other mature Christians also cannot stand to be around. Like, no, this isn't, this isn't a persecution that is self-generated, self-motivated. It's one that comes because evil sees the good that's inside of you. 
And so let us not be these Christians who like take these and, and create persecution in our lives. I've been praying like, Lord, if it's not these things, then like what are, what are we supposed to see in the life of a persecuted believer? Like, Lord, for city life, like I know that we are, we are not experiencing what a lot of people in this world experience, but like, Lord, what do you see when you see a persecuted people? Who can we be? And this whole week I've been praying like, Lord, what do you see? And he's just, helped, he's just made me to see that like, we should be a people who are both lowly and yet so powerful. A people who are humble and meek and merciful like the other Beatitudes, and yet who know that they have the Spirit of God in them who raised Christ from the dead, that we are like this glorious agony, that we are low and we are powerful. See, people who are so in love, who have so much love in our eyes, so much love coming out of our hearts, that we are rejected by evil because it is foreign to us, that it is like completely remotely just different from us and from our character. And so this whole Beatitudes has been like, Lord, change me wholeheartedly through and through. Change my character and my conduct because I, like, I need to be full of this love. I see a people who are called to know intimately and maturely that we are called to suffer like Christ did, to know Christ in his suffering. You know, Charles Hodge, he, he wrote this in his commentary of First and Second Corinthians. He said, Afflictions are the cause of eternal glory. Not the meritorious cause, but still the procuring cause. God has seen fit to reveal his purpose, not only to reward with exceeding joy the afflictions of his people, but to make those afflictions the means of working out that joy. So I see a people who say yes to Jesus, to such a level of commitment and devotion to such a degree that when saying yes to God's righteousness, when that puts us on a crash course towards persecution, towards suffering, we still say yes. We say yes, Lord, whatever comes my way, yes to you and only to you for us to live out this love and this joy and this purity, no matter what the cost is, no matter what comes our way. I see a people who read Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11. That says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Somewhere in this profound paradox of being in this glorious agony, we are supposed to be people who have a healthy approach to suffering, who don't long for it, who don't ask for it, but who never turn our back from it when it causes us to face loss and suffering. And so like, that is how we approach this with our, our hearts in a healthy place. Too many Christians, especially in our nation, especially in the Western world, don't know what this devotion is like, don't see it, and we try and create it, and we try and do it in unhealthy ways. But then let's talk about why this suffering is so necessary, why God puts it in front of us. Let's talk about for righteousness' sake. I remember being in seminary, and I remember reading these firsthand accounts of people written at, 
in the Roman Empire at the days of the early church, in the period of the early church. And I remember just like their astonished reaction to Christians and how different and peculiar they were, how like uncompromising they were at like settling for what culture said when it opposed their views. And I also remember reading these powerful firsthand accounts written by Romans who would follow Christians on their way to their death, usually for sport, for fun, for amusement of other people. Like people bring, being brought to coliseums to be ripped apart by animals or to put in coliseums un, like without weapons to fight people with weapons. And these articles like, like of people who got close to them and heard them encouraging them, one another to like, don't let go of Jesus, whatever comes your way. So some older believers who had seen this happen to their friends, teaching other people like how to how to get it done sooner, like, go, don't turn your back on Christ. This is too important. It is just momentary. Pretty soon, like, when it's done, you'll be with Christ. Don't say no. And I'm just, like, completely astonished when I read these and to this day of, like, why this is necessary, why this is a part of the Christian life, like, why so many millions and hundreds of millions of people go through things in this world today that I know that most likely I will never go through. And it's like, like, Lord, why? Why does this suffering come? Is it like, because does this suffering come when we make mistakes? Or like, is this persecution blessed when it's just because of some idiocrit, sorry, some like things that make us really peculiar? Like, why is this suffering coming? If, we, if you call us to live towards purity and mercy and grace and all of these good, healthy, self-giving attributes like why is persecution coming our way why when a life that is truly given and devoted to christ why is persecution a part of it if it's for good things and it's because of this jesus says this so perfectly so wisely in this beatitude that like not all of the not all of our persecution of our suffering is blessed it's when we are being blessed for righteousness sake for the sake of righteousness because we take this book here we take this book that is god breathed god inspired his living word and we say like lord every word of this every page of this let it change something in my character in my heart like lord i will not settle for anything less than the man or the woman that you are making me to be like lord shape me and mold me and tell me what to think and i won't let go of any of it i i want to pursue what you say is righteous and not what i say is righteous not what 2021 says is righteous or what i should get there are so many things that like i would like to disagree with scripture on but i like i don't because i like i want god's righteousness and not my own not what i see is right but lord what you say is right and so like why righteousness sake why does righteousness lead to persecution Part of it is realizing that living for God is living against my nature, the world, and definitely against the kingdom of darkness. That we are in this struggle between good, God's kingdom and the, Satan's kingdom and our human kingdoms and what we want and my personal kingdom. Like J John Stott says this, my best friend John Stott, he says, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. We have to realize that God's value system, God's kingdom is irreconcilable to the world's. 
to Satan's because there is nothing that they truly want that God 100% blesses. John Stott, again, my best friend, also writes, every Christian is to be a peacemaker, and every Christian is to expect opposition. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will suffer for the righteousness they crave. And so what is this righteousness? Like we know that righteousness is like right living, right? It's just living. It's having the right priorities, doing the right things. Of like having a, the right heart that God tells us to have or that he gives us to have. And then also having the right conduct that shows that we believe in what we say we believe. But what is this righteousness? Why is this righteousness so precious? Why is it more than just like a worldview? Why is it more than just a checklist? Why is it more of this list of things that say, okay, you're either one of me or you're not one of me? What is it? And the reason that we cannot negotiate away any bit of this righteousness is because this righteousness is Christ himself. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, and because of him, you are in Christ, Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We don't let go of this righteousness. We don't turn our backs on it. We don't compromise some of it away. It's not reconcilable. It's irreconcilable because giving away any part of this righteousness, any page, any exclamation mark, any comma, every, any period, any sentence in here is also giving away a part of Jesus because God in his wisdom made Christ our righteousness. That all of who God was, was pleased to dwell in Jesus and Jesus through the cross, through his death, and then through his resurrection became this righteousness that we are all called to live for and to know. A, a pastor that I was reading this week says, it's the attachment to Jesus that gives our righteousness its distinct character. That we are the people that we are, not because we want to get together or have fun or like want this to be a social club. We do it. We are a people because we say yes to Christ, who is our righteousness, that he earned that in his death and in his resurrection. He is our righteousness. And if we give any bit of it away, we're giving away parts of Jesus. And that is something that as followers of him, we do not have permission to do. When we do that, we're exchanging Jesus for something that is lesser than him. And so we, we're called into this glorious agony of knowing Christ's life while also holding his death in our bodies, of knowing him for both. That's saying like there are parts of this spiritual journey that, G, that God in his perfect wisdom for some reason said we will only unlock certain things. We will only continue to mature when we suffer as well. When we are so committed to him, to him and say, yes, like Lord, take Take all of my life. I will suffer from you. Teach me in my suffering as well. And let's talk a little bit more about why that is the case. Let's talk about our hearts in heaven. I think one of the truly fascinating things about this beatitude is the promise. That's actually repeated again. Uh, if you, For the astute listeners, for those who really listen and read with me when we read, we find that this promise right, to have the kingdom of heaven that the kingdom, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, 
is the same promise from the very first beatitude, from those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I, and I think that, that that is super intentional, right? I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't just running out of things to say, and so he's like, uh, yeah, the first one, just like, just throw in the, the first one again. Uh, for one sake, is Jesus must have been an amazing speaker because of everything he's produced. It still speaks to all of us to this day, right? So he, he was immensely talented as a speaker. There's a lot of symmetry here, and I love how this like serves as a bookend. The first beatitude is the last one, because really, this week and next week is really one beatitude, but I, we wanted to split them up. So it's like it. it perfectly encompasses the, the promise. You begin with the kingdom of heaven and you end with the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus saying here? And we've said all along, the Beatitudes is this study of like, God, what do you want to do in my character? What do you want to say to the innermost parts of who I am? My conduct is a part of this and it'll change when you have my character, but like, look, what are you speaking to me intimately? How are you shaping me? Like, Lord, I give you permission. Go anywhere in my heart and shape me to be the person who loves for this righteousness. Again, also the second time mentioned in these Beatitudes. Uh, so what is God saying here? Booking, bookending these Beatitudes with the kingdom of heaven. This is, this is what I'm convinced Jesus is saying. He's saying, it's like, part of this is when he talks about how we need to have more righteousness than the Pharisees, right? Uh, we need to have better hearts than the Pharisees who just do all of this for the show of it, to look holy in front of everyone else. Because Jesus loves and cares about our hearts. And what, he, what he's saying is that Jesus like, wills for his disciples to have their whole hearts more invested in the kingdom of heaven than in any kingdom in this world or any kingdom that we can build for ourselves or any kingdom for even humanity. That like we will not go through the deepness of, of knowing Christ in his suffering if our hearts are not already in the kingdom of heaven. If like we are already not having more hopes in God's kingdom than we do of this world because then we will never suffer for Christ. We will never say yes when when the suffering is at our doorstep, we will always run and we will always hide and we will never say yes to righteousness, which is Christ himself, for long enough to be able to take deep steps into suffering. We, we just will not go that far. And I was like, like Lord, what are, you, what are you really saying to us about this? And this week I thought of my favorite book often. My favorite book... Uh, Sunday school answer aside from the Bible. My favorite book in this whole world is uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. Even one of our MCs covered it last year. I just like, I, I love that book. That book is about this man who wakes up in a place and he slowly realizes that it's hell. And this is just a story, by the way. It's, it's not a theological statement. He, he learns that he's in hell, and hell is this gloomy place. You can never tell if the sun is setting or rising because it never changes. And there are houses everywhere, but there's no one in sight because no one can live next to anyone. Uh, and at the center of this town, there's this bus, and this bus takes you to heaven. 
And as the people, as the bus gets crowded, as the people fight in the bus and, and are on their way to heaven, they realize that like when they get to heaven, heaven is this place that is so real. It's so beyond them that like even it's so, it's so much more dense than they are that even the light shines right through them. They're ghosts in heaven. And when they go to walk on the grass, like even the grass is like razor blades on the bottom of their feet. Heaven is this place that is so much more real than they are. And our main character walks around, even though it hurts him so much. He sees a, I, I don't remember now if it's a leaf or a flower, but he goes to pick it and he can't even pick up this, this small thing. It, he tries so hard that the skin, some of the skin off his hand comes off. That's how real heaven is. That's like how not suitable for heaven he is. And I just love this picture for this beatitude. Because like God is saying, like, if your heart is not already in heaven, then how can you live through the hardest of human experiences for Christ? You alone, like, there's so much of this spiritual journey that is tied to our call to know Christ in our suffering. And if we do not care enough, if we do not long to know Jesus and all of Jesus, if we don't long to carry the glory of Him, but also the agony of Him, then, like, how are we going to continue to mature in our faith and know Jesus more and more in every season of our life? That it's, it's a profound truth in the gospel that we cannot know the resurrected Christ until we know the Christ who went through death. There's no resurrected, glorified Jesus without the cross that made him our righteousness, our wisdom, our reconciliation, our sanctification. God, in his wisdom, ordained us to know Jesus even in his suffering. And for those of us who want to mature and dive deep, living in a country where we know also we will not face much persecution, where most of it is just like relational, and maybe we lose some friends, or maybe we have this reputation we don't want at work or with our neighbors. It was like, even that, it becomes so hard for us to say yes to. When unfortunately there are people all over the world still losing their lives for Christ. That there are churches in parts of this world where they like go to one another and urge each other, do not, like, don't turn your back on Jesus, don't let go of him. Oh, this will be over soon. Let's, let's continue to find Jesus in this suffering. So let's wrap this beatitude up a little bit. Let's conclude it with two things. Today, the whole point of today has been discussing Jesus in this beatitude through this glorious agony. All at the same time, balancing the life of Christ and the death of Christ. That we know Christ in joy and we also equally know him in pain and suffering and loss and it's our call to know him in both and so to close i want to point us to second corinthians 4 17 and 18 where paul like a seasoned when he wrote this a seasoned mature believer who already experienced so much loss who who was beaten imprisoned shipwrecked who was stoned more than once who he knew loss, he personally and intimately knew loss, 
He went through things that you and I would lose our faith over multiple times. And yet this man who was still so in love with Jesus, who was in fact more in love with Jesus than ever before, he pens on paper to other Christians who suffer. He said, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This, the, this man wrote this, and it applies to Christians all over the world today, that any suffering that we will ever go through, not because we're fallen, not because we make mistakes, but when we pursue righteousness with our whole lives, when we pursue knowing Christ with everything and, and don't say no to Him, when that's the case and we suffer, all of that somehow is preparing for us. That's the key word here. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond any comparison. Anything of comparison will fall short to Christ and knowing Him even in His suffering is better than knowing the world and having everything. Uh, that only God can redeem pain is something we pull from this glorious agony. We all suffer, we all lose, but God is the only one who rebuilds, who reconciles, who redeems, and who gives us things back as if we'd never lost them in the first place. Only God can do that. No other man, no other woman, no activity, no amount of money, no career, no success, not the kingdom of darkness, not the height of human progress, nothing redeems suffering. Like God does. And I also like also to, to wrap this up in like another image, I like I kept on praying and I'm like, Lord, where do we see this? Where do you demonstrate this in your word? And I see it all over when Jesus comes back in his resurrected body and people, multitudes of people see him. He teaches in, in, in large groups of people. So many people see him and touch him. And I thought I like keep thinking of Thomas. When he puts his fingers in Jesus' scars, when Jesus carries his scars in his glorified body to point people to the fact that he is resurrected, he is risen, he is the Christ, he is the redeemer of everything, and yet he keeps his scars on him for us to see this beautiful agony, that we also find him in pain, that, he, that even in death itself cannot separate us from the love of Christ. And we also see his, how he lives. One of the most theologically significant thing of his resurrection is that he would eat fish with them, showing us that this resurrection isn't just like, he wasn't a ghost, he wasn't pretending, but no, he had this body that was also resurrected and glorified. And Jesus is going to do the same for us. If we like hold on to this righteousness, if we pursue him, even in our pain, Jesus can redeem it. And so for all of the persecuted people around the world, and for us here in Jersey City, like, that we are blessed when we say yes, even in persecution, when we do it for righteousness' sake. And that we'll find that our hearts, even right now, are living with God, at least in part in the kingdom of His kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. Church, let us be this community that doesn't shield one another from pain, that doesn't stop the pain from it fooling, reaching where it should go, where God wants it to go, 
and we would be this communi- this communi- community urging us to go into suffering and into pain once in front of us and when it's for righteousness that we would say don't let go don't let go keep on going keep on going like it's going to be great like god is doing something in this pain we have to get to the end of it to see what he's doing that's what i see for our church that's what i see for a church in jersey city perhaps that there are believers uh Perhaps Jersey City is not solely dedicated to the Lord because it hasn't seen a group of people who are willing to say yes to whatever comes our way and then to be able to show our scars to the world and say, look, this is what Christ did for me. This is how Christ brought me back. And so church, City Life, we love you. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. Let's continue to talk about how that is the case in our MCs and our prayer calls when we're together just grabbing a meal. We love you, and we'll see each other soon. Talk to you later. Bye.